Welcome to Restoring Memory, a COVID Calls exploration of the first two COVID years. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters, and since March 16, 2020, I've been the host of COVID Calls, a daily discussion of the pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. This is episode number 496, March 17, 2022, Father and Son in the Pandemic with Steve Knowles. And I have my dad, Steve Knowles, here, and I want to just introduce him to you. Steve Knowles was born in Odessa, Texas, and is a fourth-generation Texan with a deep appreciation for the unique heritage of growing up and living in West Texas. Experiences of a boyhood developed in a post-war America framed much of his positive outlook for his entire life. Steve earned a BBA degree from the University of Texas at Austin and an MBA from the University of Texas of the Permian Basin. He's a 40-year veteran of human resources management and retired from the Farm Credit Bank of Texas as their vice president of human resources. And he now lives in the Sun City community located in Georgetown, Texas. He's married to Harriet, who was a guest on COVID calls just a few days ago, a retired pediatric physical therapist, and he has five children seven grandchildren, and he's a member in the Presbyterian Church and an avid Texas Longhorns fan. And that doesn't quite capture your uh, support for the Texas Longhorns. I don't think avid is a strong enough word there, Dad. It's just in the blood. I've told many people if, if you were to cut my wrist, it would be orange blood coming out. So. <laughs> That's when, I saw your, when I saw your shirt today, nice shirt, by the way, I immediately thought, that must be a University of Texas thing, and I just can't see the Longhorns because it's not close enough. So I'm, I'm. Uh, but you told me it's not. You're not wearing UT gear today. I didn't want to be too overboard with it, but I thought the color. <laughs> anyway. uh, it's good to see you, Dad. Thanks, God. It's good to see you too. And welcome back to COVID calls. I'm really glad that you were willing to come back uh, after the. The last discussion, uh, which we had January 4th, 2021, and it was of all of the 496 COVID calls, it was the only one where I had a complete technical meltdown. And to uh, further that, for those who weren't with us back then, um, I sat still for a few moments and then got a text message from one of my daughters who said, Dad, start talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I carried on uh, for a period of time till Scott got his technical difficulties corrected. And uh, he was basically going to go ahead and turn COVID calls over to me at that point. So it was a good, um, good experience, but frustrating for you, I know, Scott. I've told that story so many times of how uh, I completely lost the broadcast entirely. The internet at our house just gave up completely. In fact, after that call, I had to I had to get new equipment and everything. And um, and then when I did manage to make it back in the call, not only were you still talking, but you were talking up COVID calls. You were you're saying Scott's going to be back in a minute. COVID calls, and you're explaining it. And I thought, wow, this is like uh, I need you in every episode <laughs> to. Um, be a good explainer and a, a good um, uh, well, you, promoter you, of what I've been trying to do with this. Yeah, through the through the years, and you've read it in, in my book. Uh, 
I've overused the the saying that when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So I was doing a extra dose of lemonade there uh, that time. But uh, we we marched through, and goodness gracious, now 300 episodes since then, you're still going strong. Congratulations to you, and as you bring this to closure, I know you're very proud. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Thanks for being part of it. And uh, I have tried to bring some guests back twice to have some sense of the passage of time. This is a historical, it's a question, it's a conversation in the moment, of course, but it's also a historical archive. And I wanted to ask you about that because when you were on January 4th, 2021, people can cast their memory back to that moment in the United States there were 352,645 deaths at that moment. And uh, now we're closing in on a million, according to Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center, which certainly is an undercount also. In that interval of time, um, I'm sort of curious if you could say a little bit about how the pandemic has been for you, Dad, and, and the ways you've had to adapt to it to stay safe. Well, the, the pandemic has uh, obviously, for me and for anyone around us, has altered our lives dramatically from the uh, freedom to do a little bit of everything and go everywhere to uh, being prudent with your health and to basically stay in, mask up, vaccinate, boost, and uh, just be smart in the way you do your interactions with people around you. Uh, for me, it was an introduction to new technology of Zoom and FaceTime and other methods that we could still reach out and touch family and friends. Um, Scott, I guess back at that point of January 21, we were we were into the pandemic for a period of time because when March of 2020 hit us, um, I looked back at my calendar and I actually had something penciled in every day of the week, which it was interaction with friends, associates. And so the, here comes out the eraser and I have to erase all of those activities and um, persevere through, I guess, uh, the loss of social interaction to use technology. <clears throat> so now I have a call on Monday that replaced a face-to-face -face breakfast. I have a Zoom on Tuesday that replaced a face-to-face -face Bible study. Then on Wednesday is somewhat a free day now, which used to be my day to volunteer at the pantry. On Thursday, um, now we're, we're doing Zoom for Bible study from the church. Um, and then on Friday, I used to be able to get together with the Odessa friends, and that morphed into Zoom calls. Saturday used to be a get-together at the church for men my age. Now that's a call. And then Sunday, face-to-face -face at church, and now that's a, a basically, um, I guess we, we're using any type of technology where they're, they're sending it across the airwaves to us. <clears throat> So that's a lengthy diatribe of, of what's going on. But, you know, it's changed. And yet um, we're still in, in 
concert with these people. Um, and I don't want any of the people who might be watching you to get the wrong impression, but the first thing that I was able to go back to with any regularity was golf. Uh, but that was because, in our own way of thinking, we were outside and right. the winds out here right. blow. And so it was relatively safe. And our stipulations were that no one would double up with a person in a golf cart. So you, you were singular in your golf cart and you go out and play golf. And so that was a good way at least to get out of the house. Uh, I mean, thanks for sharing that. And it's, it's, you know, a couple of the places that are just, as you just described it, really important to your life and being with friends and socializing. Places that we would think of as just inherently safe, you know, like a diner, a restaurant, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood, um, the church, right? Uh, the community center, you know, in your, in your community there at Sun City. And all of a sudden in March 2020, those are dangerous places. They were basically no-go zones. You just simply don't even consider it. Uh, or as we went a little bit further into the process, you, you went there with a mask, obviously. Okay, and 95s were the lifesaver. And uh, you made sure that you were pretty far apart of people, even when you were shopping. Um, I wear the hat of the designated shopper in the family to go to the local grocery store. And so um, it just was natural that I would go, I would try to keep my cart away from other people if I could, but I certainly had my mask on. And it's interesting, Scott, in transition now, after two years, that there are still some places that I'm wearing my mask, um, maybe a little too much overboard, but probably just simply good habit to uh, still wear a mask in groups. You know, the the area here in Georgetown is not unlike what's happening across the United States. We're we're basically in the stage two uh, continues to go down. Um, about eighty percent vaccinated at least, and so uh, th there's good signs. There's probably uh, an environment now where most people are feeling comfortable to go out again. Um, but I, I just still think there has to be some discernment in where you are and what you're doing. So. One of the things, you know, I, I've been, I ask guests uh, to share personal memories as you're just as you're sharing right now of the pandemic. And, you know, one of the most constant themes and I'm, I think this will um, resonate with you a lot. One of the most constant themes, people remember not their own vaccination experience, but they remember when their parents got vaccinated for COVID. And that marked a really important moment for them in the course of this ongoing disaster. And I wonder if you might speak a little bit to the process of how you how you managed to get vaccinated there and and kind of the challenges of getting that and what that meant to you and to the family there. Several days ago, uh, my wife was on with you, Harriet, and she described that we have a, another person living in the house with us. Um, uh, my mother-in-law, who today is 89. So there was an urgency uh, in our household that we get her vaccinated, but just as important that we get vaccinated. So we were 
on the watch list to keep seeing when would we have a chance to sign up, to call in, to get our number so we could go. Uh, actually, unfortunately, here in Sun City to a community center and um, get our vaccinations, which happened for all three of us in this household in January and then in February of 2021. Is that correct? I believe so. And then uh, came around and got our boosters in August of 21, all of it being the Moderna. Um, So we were very, very much on the forefront of getting vaccinated and getting boosted. And it's, um, it's an interesting thing about maybe just our own metabolism. But um, I heard about a a study that the University of Texas was doing on um, people who had been vaccinated and what was their status in terms of antigens and reactions to their vaccinations. And so uh, Harriet and I both said, let's do this. And it was free. And so three three different times we went down and had blood drawn to get a reading on what was our antigen level where we adequately uh, protected against the COVID. And um, the last two times, my results came back off the chart high and basically was in excess of 2,500, and they stopped counting after that point. Whether that gave me a false sense of security, I don't know, but it certainly it was a, it was better than being like one of my friends who came in at zero, and he wow. really made plans to go back and get another vaccination shot. Uh, that's I love that. First of all, I love the fact that you got involved in the study, and I'm really proud of you for doing that. Actually, and it's like I think that's I think it's great, and. Um, also, you've told me pretty consistently um, about that high. I'm not sure exactly what they're measuring, but you're off the chart in terms of basically the immunity that's been conferred to your body from the vaccine. And uh, you seem pretty proud about that, Dad. Well, I'm not sure I, what I can attribute that to. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's a bunch of hamburgers that I eat, but there was something that... Basically, you should the, work that angle, Dad. You should st- you should be, you should make that case. It's the it's the barbecue diet combined with knew, the vaccine. Yeah, you knew I was going to spin into Whataburger somewhere along this conversation. But, I mean, you have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I love the way you talk about that and tell that story. And uh, and you know, I think the more I've I've studied and had guests on who talk about vaccination and who talk about vaccination not anti-vaxxers, but who talk about people who are skeptical or have needed some time to get where they needed to, to go and, and have it. I actually think there's a huge swath of the population that listening to you talk about your experience is more powerful than seeing Tony Fauci on, on TV because you're part of their world and they're going to trust you more than they're going to trust somebody they never met. But the, the, the process for all of us, millions of people who've got the vaccine, vaccinations, was just a no-brainer, and it was easy, and the price was right. And we're all from that, those people that have gray hair like me, we're from that generation of the polio epidemic in the 50s, where we simply got cubes with 
uh, the salt vaccina vaccination, uh, and we knew that there was benefit from protecting yourself when there was a huge uh, epidemic that was flooding through the society. Now, we have, you and I have talked about that there may be some people that are politically just don't feel like that they need the government to be intervening with their decision on how they take care of their body. And so we accept that. But I also, it makes me angry that some people put me at risk and my wife at risk and my mother-in-law at risk simply because of um, maybe their own impressions that the government's telling them to do something. Um, and Scott, you know where I land pretty much on the political spectrum. And, and I would say that this is one of those cases where I think the government needed to be even more aggressive in basically the process of mask vaccinations and anything else that could mitigate this, this basically hideous uh, pandemic that's hit our, our communities. Uh, and I'm optimistic that we're coming out of it. I'm also realistic that there's a, still another variant that's hiding in its shadows and starting to peek around it, so it might be coming back into the society again. So um, I'm happy that uh, those of us who did vaccinations uh, did it for the good of, of everybody, but uh, very selfishly, we did it in this household for uh, our own well-being. I remember when um, in that phase there, so it's a late winter of 2021 when you were trying to get vaccine, and um, I don't think it was so easy, right? I mean, it, there was a lot of calling around to, 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 maybe you can, maybe you have to remind me a little bit, you know, did you manage to to schedule it through some sort of interface with the public health office, or did you end up having to sort of call around and find out which pharmacies had it? I'm not quite sure because I've heard different people have explained from in Texas the process, and it wasn't the same everywhere. In our situation, it was public health that, uh, and basically the county who engaged uh, people to basically administer the, the and I think, uh, again, most of whatever, and for whatever reason, Moderna was being sent to our area with some Pfizer. Uh, so uh, I simply had to call in and get a reservation for a time slot and show up and wait my turn in the line and uh, give me a shot, go sit down for 10 minutes to make sure I wasn't going to pass out and then go home. Uh, so it was a little bit better organized than I've seen maybe for other locales. And so my hat's off to those people who in Sun City, who in Georgetown, who in Williamson County uh, administered. And I think um, that they did a, as good a job as they could do with the considerations that some, if not many of the people in Sun City are um, maybe anti-vaxxers.
Let me just take a moment to remind folks you're listening to COVID Calls. And my guest today for a very special episode of COVID Calls is my dad, Steve Knowles. And um, so among the many things that you did during the pandemic, dad, you were describing taking your social life up online. And we'll talk about maybe family life a little bit here in a minute. Uh, you wrote a book. And there's like, there's so many people, you know, um, uh, you know, in my world, academics were like, well, I'm going to use this time. I'm going to try to write a book. And they were looking around like, where's the book that I didn't write when I was in lockdown? And here you are, and you wrote a book and self-published it. And people can actually find it on Amazon, Pops Ponderings. And uh, I'm really proud of you for writing this book. You want to talk a little bit about what it is? Well, the book is is really uh, a beginning four years ago uh, from your request, Scott, to write some essays for your sons about things that their grandfather uh, might be have feelings about or uh, understandings about in, in terms of uh, things that have helped them in their character and in their future. And so I started writing those, and you know, there was a really a slow go on getting the first several essays out, and then it kind of picked up steam. And I have told several people that there is one good aspect of the pandemic, and that is that when we were basically staying inside, either because of edict or because of common sense, I was writing essays, and I, I turned out about uh, 18 of these chapters during that time period. <clears throat> and I found that family was encouraging. You were encouraging. Uh, my wife was encouraging. And the readership was broadening. That I, I was having some of my lifelong friends were wanting to read these essays. And so, through the encouragement of my editor-in-chief, uh, that's you, Scott, uh, we decided to go ahead and, and do our self-publishing through Amazon of these essays to share. And then, um, if you do self-publishing, then it's available to be purchased. You know that uh, I, did, I haven't made the New York bestseller list yet with this book, uh, but that doesn't matter. That's not why I wrote it for a commercial. I wrote it for families and most importantly for grandchildren. Well, it's a it's a well read book around my house, certainly. And I'm gonna actually um I'm gonna share part of one of the essays. There's thirty one essays in this book. And they're written at the length to be shared with younger members of the family to get a sense of how you look at the world, how you approach the world. And I'm going to read um, a little bit from your chapter on courage. My friends and I, you write, like to play lots of outdoor games that were typical of boys my age in a post-World War II era. We particularly imitated the exploits of a fellow Texan who served in the war by the name of Audie Murphy. He was a focused person. He wanted to serve his country like other Americans were doing in the war, but he wasn't old enough to join the military. He got his sister to help him forge his birth papers so he would meet the minimum age requirements for enlistment in the armed forces. 
He was not a particularly large person either, standing only five feet, five inches tall and weighing just 112 pounds. He was too small to be accepted into military service by the Marines, the Navy, or the paratroopers. He had to settle for the Army. One thing that Murphy had going for him was an uncommon amount of courage. While many people showed valor in World War II, Audie Murphy became the hero of boys my age as we learned of his exploits in battle. At age 19, he single-handedly held off an entire company of enemy soldiers, and if that wasn't enough, he then led a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. Because of his courage and selfless determination, he was recognized, you write, with 33 medals and numerous awards and citations, including the Congressional Medal of Honor and French and Belgian awards. He was the most decorated United States soldier in World War II. He wasn't too small, too young, too inexperienced or uneducated to display the inner strength of bravery during times of extreme challenge. Simply, he was a man of courage. Courage, you write, is the choice and willingness to confront danger, fear of the unknown, pain, uncertainty, or intimidation. This is physical courage. Moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, shame, scandal, discouragement, civic responsibility, or personal loss. Just as Audie Murphy was honored for his physical courage, it was also his moral courage that was significant. He didn't join the army to win medals. He enlisted because his conscience said it was the right thing to do in a time of our country's need. Untold men and women live courageous lives every day without recognition. This is most evident in the lives of our first responders, such as police, EMS, firefighters, and ordinary people who daily exhibit courage as they fulfill their responsibilities. Your grandfather, Jean Papa Knowles, also served in World War II. He did not win any special medals, but he was a courageous person. He simply fulfilled his military duty and returned home to Odessa. Throughout his life, he exhibited pure moral courage by establishing and managing his own business in the face of the uncertainty of the oil field economy. He was an example of an honest person who worked hard every day. While he grew up in very modest surroundings in San Angelo, Texas, he learned to do his part in the family. His conviction to a strong work ethic matched with his devotion to his mother and sisters was a consistent character trait. Even more so, his 71-year devotion to his wife and my mother, your mother, my grandmother, Nanny, was a role model to all of our family, particularly as she was confined to a nursing home in the later part of her life. He was there for her as well for all of us throughout his life. That inspired me. He has always been my hero. That's from my dad's book, Pops's Ponderings, which was published just last year. And that essay was Courage. I love that one. And it's so relevant to our time in which people have been called from all corners of life around the world um, and not wanting to, uh, to have some, some courage, sometimes at a grand scale, but a lot of times in, very, in a very everyday way to overcome some fear, as we were talking earlier, maybe a vaccination, um, to summon the courage to keep going in the middle of all of this, take care of family. I think it's a really relevant theme for our time, Dad. When the book was written, uh, and again, early on, this was really devoted to your sons because I could see them out in the playground and I could see that uh, there might be some bully that was picking on them. I don't know if it happened or not, but that's that's typical. 
And so I wanted them to be courageous that they could basically walk away and be more courageous and turn their back on what is wrong behavior than to get into a fight with them. And so that was where I was into the moral courage because at their age, indeed, I was playing out there in, in, the, in the front yard with Chuck and Kurt and other people, and we were fighting the war again. Um, that would not be socially acceptable today, but that was in 1950. You know, that was 72 years ago. And our enemies were basically the enemies that the United States fought, whether it be the Germans or the Japanese. And so, therefore, Audie Murphy was that hero that spoke to us because he had all this courage, the guts to go out and do these things that a normal person wouldn't, couldn't do. But I, I think that uh, in today's society, we're seeing again in the Ukraine levels of courage that we haven't seen in a long, long time. It's uplifting for us on the other side of the world to understand that these people are standing against a force that is so overwhelming, and yet they have this physical and moral courage to stand up for their rights. And I I think that um, in the society that you and I live in, Scott, that there are bullies. There are bullies that uh, have power. There are bullies that um, want to pertificate their standings that it's the only way, the right way. And it takes men and women of courage to basically say, no, that's not what I believe or I want. And I don't think we have enough courage standards these days to overcome some of the buffoonery that we see on TV coming from different places of leadership. Just to take a moment to remind folks you're listening to COVID Calls, and I'm talking to my father, Steve Knowles, today on COVID Calls. It's a father and son discussion. And um, yeah, that last part of what you're talking about there, you know, you and I don't always agree, see eye to eye on politics. Uh, I think a lot of times we, why I enjoy talking about politics with you is that we might land in different places on like what the policy should be. We have a shared sort of commitment to the idea that uh, that civic discourse, civil and civic discourse, is really important, and that holding that space open is kind of like the lifeblood of of democracy. A lot of times, I don't know if I've told you this, Dad, when I talk to friends, um, as you might imagine, a lot of times the subject, particularly in the earlier part of the pandemic, is what is that? What is Trump doing? And and what is happening in American politics? And I often refer to what I call the Steve Knowles wing of the Republican Party, that you're, to me, kind of, you stand in for a particular um, kind of approach to governance, which has been traditionally associated um, maybe with Republican politicians of an earlier generation, and that the, the party, or at least the Trump wing of the party, had left you. And, and we don't have to go too far down that road, but I did want to reflect with you for a second because um, I am worried 
and I think Trump is not the only reason for it, but I'll lay it at his feet for now. Um, I'm worried that discourse in America has degraded to a point at which people have lost the ability to listen to each other and try to find some common ground. And um, I, it concerns me deeply. I mean, as a as a as a citizen, and also watching it from here, where I am in in South Korea, it looks bad to see a country uh, with the history that it has, the United States, where it should be sort of being able to talk about hard things and move forward. And it, I don't see that working too well right now. We sometimes um, go back to maybe our ages when we were in tribes. And um, you live in your tribe, and that's the correct way to live. And America has sort of gone into these segregated tribes where it's their way or the highway. And I want to give you a personal story, Scott, that if, if I was going to live my philosophy of moderation uh, and be courageous about that moderation, uh, I was doing a Zoom call with my Saturday morning group. And there's one man <clears throat> who is pretty opinionated, and his way is the right way. And so I decided that I just was not going to put up with that anymore. And so I just was going to quit participating. And it really came back in reflection. I said, whoa, I do that, and he wins. I need to listen to him, and maybe of all of the utterances that he puts out, there's one sliver of information that would help me to understand or to argue against or take action against. And so I stuck with it. He's still on. He's still spouting. But I can listen to him. I can disagree with him. And I can learn from him. And I think that until we as a society that starts with one-on-one conversation and the and diatribe, I, I think, has to get out the window. And we have to basically have discussions and agree to disagree. And yes, Scott, as I was growing up, <clears throat> the Republicans were moderate, Democrats were moderate, and basically, uh, they would argue and have some fights. And then at the end of the day, they'd gather together and have cocktails. And so there was still some civility in the process that goes on, either in, in my case, in Austin or in Washington, D.C. Now it's, it's basically, um, I think, tribes that are trying to decide how we can discredit the other people, no matter what. The sun comes up this morning from the east. Well, that's wrong. It shouldn't be coming back from the east. If I was in power, it would be coming up from the west. And uh, I just think it's got it's your generation and it's the generation of your siblings. They're going to have to argue for this ability to go ahead and come together, agree to disagree, shake hands try to learn from each other. And that's where I am. 
Scott, un, let me unmute myself. Unfortunately, no one listens to Generation X. In fact, I, I, I kept myself muted when I said that the first time. That's a total Gen X thing to do. All my Gen X brethren out there, all my brothers and sisters in Gen X will understand that. I'm kidding, but it's uh, it's millennials who have are really impressive and and um, you know younger people in America. I think are building platforms to uh, to come together and understand each other across all kinds of boundaries that kept people apart in the past. So I have some hope that. But I appreciate you sharing that philosophy, Dad. It's a powerful, powerful philosophy of listening. And I think people have undervalued uh, the importance of listening and kind of the power of listening because it empowers other people. And maybe you find some common ground through that. I want to I want to um, turn to a couple, couple other topics quickly before we run out of time here today, Dad. Um, one is just more coming back to family. This has been a pretty dynamic time in the family, despite the pandemic. Um, you know, your role as grandfather is like getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Unfortunately, it's getting bigger, and there's seven of us that are seven of the, the grandchildren that pops gets to love on, gets to see as often as possible, or even through. Um, our FaceTime, I guess, that, that goes on. And the once a week call where the entire family can join and we can, we can communicate. And, uh, that's, that's, I think in many ways it's more common that we're having communication than when we just relied on getting together whenever we could or were convenient. So there's a, there's a little bit of a, silver lining to this idea now that, that basically we are disciplined to on Saturday afternoons at six o'clock or whatever time you're getting, which is about time you're getting up there in Dijon um, to visit and be together. And uh, I just love that, that opportunity. Um, and maybe it was started because of COVID that we had to stay away, but uh, we overcame that as many, many other Americans I know have done in using the technology that we could say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And, and let the get grandkids get on. Uh, your favorite and my favorite is uh, my grandson, Donovan, who um, probably will be in your seat uh, several years from now, holding podcasts and talking to people because it is his constant questioning and just that that um, personality to to say what's going on, what's happening, and so we like that, and we like to see all of them. Uh, when I see my grandsons in Dijon, uh, they're waking up and they're still fairly stirring. Or in some cases, one of your sons has not started stirring yet, and we don't see him as often, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, they're all, it's great to watch all of them. And it's um, a lot of times the adults just hang back and all of the, and they all have their antics, and you can kind of go from one, you know, screen to the next and the next. And Donovan, who's a little older, um, uh, narrates a lot of it. And I just think it's it's tremendous. But all of his cousins are doing, you know, you sort of I love to just sort of swipe. Uh, I let him have the full screen and swipe to the next one. And they're doing they're all doing their amazing things. And you and I have had a weekly 
um, except for the times when I've had to, to cancel it. But we've been pretty good about uh, uh, weekly calls, you and I, uh, which we were not doing before the pandemic. We, call, we talked a lot, but they were intermittent. It's, that's another one of the benefits is that you and I have always been close, but it wasn't on as regular basis as we've been doing in our, our weekly calls um, to just simply, if nothing else, say, how's it going? And uh, it's it's anticipated that you and I get back on a regular basis when COVID number 500, COVID calls number 500 is yeah. in the bed and we can yeah. see you again, maybe on a more regular basis. Yeah, it's been a busy time. I appreciate your patience with me. Um, so just on our way out, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, so travel is a big thing in our family. And um, we don't have time to go into too much of the detail right now, but but people should know um, that my father is a is a some people like write out an itinerary. My father is an artist of itineraries. I mean, you design itineraries that operate in increments 15 minutes and less. I mean, you, you, it's, it's, but with, but when you have that kind of an itinerary and you can be flexible and you can change the itinerary, but what it does, it shows how much thought you put into the trip. And uh, we've traveled together we've traveled together in other countries and uh, you can have spontaneous moments. It's not like you're too rigid with it, but you really enjoy the preparation part. And I think it's because you you go ahead, you begin the trip before you start the travel. You trans you allow your mind to be transported to those places, and and so I love doing those too. And anybody who's traveled with me knows I love to write a detailed itinerary. I think it's fun. Yeah, and I actually think it's a sign of great respect to the people you're going to travel with because it shows like we're really we're really in this. So that's the setup. And you have the map there in the background. Maybe people can see it. Um, you've gotten, yeah, you've gotten back to traveling a bit. Tell, that, tell us, tell us about the pens, and tell us about the map. Well, the map is, of course, the United States, including Hawaii and Alaska. There's pens all over this map, uh, places where we've had itineraries, but there's some silver pens in certain states. It's it's our goal to have touched ground and visit every state in the union, all 50. And we are closing in on those numbers. And in fact, uh, I will announce to you, Scott, that by the middle of October, all of the silver pens will be removed. We will have been to every state. Uh, but that's, that's part of this planning process. And so I've already got itineraries Put to uh, put into a folder for our trip to go up to Washington and Oregon, Northern California. I've also got itineraries already planned for the leaf peeping process of New England, the six states up there, and that'll take place in October. Fortunately, we can travel again, and it's wonderful we can get out. We, uh, we just recently made a trip down to the Gulf Coast to see the pooping cranes at uh, basically Rockport, Texas, and then on over to South Padre Island. So we are a traveling family. Scott, you get that genes from me. I got the genes from my father. 
And I think it's wonderful that we have some adventure in our blood to travel. And um, I'm just that kind of a planner that I need to have something somewhat on the paper where I'm going, where I'm staying, and uh, at least gets us from point A to point B. Well, I just, uh, we should wrap up now. Um, but uh, I will say uh, that you're an inspiration. And it's, um, you know, one of the things about the pandemic, it's been a horrible time in so many ways. But there have been good things. And closeness with family has been one of those things. It's distant. But, you know, I think we've gotten closer even in these last two years. And we were already pretty close. I love you a lot, Dad. I love you too, son. And I think it's been a great process just to talk it through again. And as I forewarned you, I have now written another essay that's sitting in your inbox for you to read and to enjoy. So uh, the process continues. Okay, uh, let me just remind everybody you've been listening to COVID Calls, and this is a special COVID Calls episode as part of the Restoring Memory series here as we come up to the uh, 500th episode of the launch of the Digital Archive. And please do come back in just a few minutes. The next episode will be starting in just five minutes. We'll be talking about the pandemic in Korea with a group of graduate students from the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. So please do join me for that. And I want to thank my dad, Steve Knowles, for coming back a second time. We had no technical difficulties this time. It was a great chat. Dad, thanks a million for being back. Thank you, Scott. It was sure a pleasure. And good luck now on this next, next call. Stay healthy, everyone, and we'll see you next time on COVID Calls.